Hello everyone, welcome to the Warif podcast, a place for dialogue on development that promotes social, economic and environmental progress. My name is Abir and I'm your host. It's my joy to connect with fellow developmental professionals, practitioners, academics and enthusiasts. My mission is to make the world a more kind, safe and clean place. I believe even small steps in the right direction can cause a chain reaction towards larger positive impact. Let's meet our guests and learn how they're working towards a better world. Today our guest is Anne. She is the founder of a multiple brands including a big branding company and is an awesome person that was a member of the Think Creative Leadership Program as well. So a brief about Anne. She is from the Netherlands and was educated as a designer at the Royal Academy of Fine Arts where the role of the designer as a socially engaged professional was was deeply embedded in the curriculum uh, as most traditional education is. She graduated on the topic of communications for visual illiterates in low-income countries. That's so interesting. With research conducted in Mali, her graduation professor, Gert Dumber, suggested that she came to work for his famed brand agency studio, Dumber, quite a leap from her studies. Disillusioned about the reality of foreign aid and the role of designers and social issues, and took the opportunity and the leap of faith to work in a commercial field wholeheartedly. At Studio Dumber, and later at agencies such as Lava and Interbrand, and grew from designer to strategist and creative director on major brand development projects in Europe and Asia for commercial clients, NGOs, and cultural organizations. In 2014, after 12 years uh, in the sector, and missed the social purpose she had pursued during her studies and asked herself how she could use her professional skills to advance ideas, products, and services for social and environmental change. And like me, believes in uh, using the creative, creative industry and sectors as a platform for a social and environmental positive impact. She went on a one-year journey to speak to social entrepreneurs and change makers around the world and prototype tools and trainings and training formats with the aim of democratizing high quality brand knowledge. Hello, Anne. Welcome to this. Hi, Abir. Hi. Hi. It's really good to have you. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. So, uh, Anne, tell us more about your company and yourself first, besides what's found on the internet. (laughs) Well, you, you, you certainly did an amazing job summarizing my, my journey so far. So I suppose the little piece that's missing is, is the sequel to that. So I, I indeed quit my job um, around 2013 to investigate how my uh, profession and my expertise in brand, how that could contribute to social and environmental progress. Um, that led me to, to Kenya. And I started my training company here in, in Nairobi. And I've uh, lived here for seven years now with my, with my husband and our daughter. And I nice. currently, yeah, just at the end of last year, we moved to the countryside. And we now live on a rose farm 
Um, and we have oh, wow. cows, cows and pigs and lots of animals around. So Beautiful. it's a very different, it's a very different life. And I've never really spoken about this publicly. Wow, that's really beautiful. So how, how do you do you think that living in remote area helps creatives like you be more creative? That's a, a very interesting thought. I think for me, out of necessity, because it's half an hour to the nearest supermarket, I think it's we've had to create a lot of structure. Uh, so life is all about structure. And I think for me, that leaves a lot more headspace and headspace equals kind of space for creative ideas. That's different than in the city where you get a lot of impulses from kind of the urban environment, but you also have a lot more flexibility and that also can create some chaos. For me, a lot of impulses mean sometimes, you know, the head gets too full and it becomes hard. Like all the ideas are standing behind the door, kind of all waiting to run out. And the result of that is often that none of the ideas come out because it's just simply too crowded at the door. So uh, and I'll go a little bit outside of the narrative because I was really impressed with the, your biography when you said you mentioned that you wrote something about visual illiterates in low-income can- countries such as Mali. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? It's really interesting. During my studies between 2000-2004, my mentor, Ger Dunbar, made me aware of this issue of uh, vis- visual illiteracy, which I'd never heard about. So this is Uh, This is the concept that people who don't learn how to read and write often also don't learn how to read and write images. So imagine that as a child growing up in uh, in a culture where there's a lot of written sources, you do things like puzzles, you learn how to read, but you also see a lot of pictograms and you see a lot of photographs, but those are all constructs. So we don't realize that as, hum- as humanity, we've had to evolve over time to understand what is actually a photograph and, and what, is a, what does a pictogram represent. That's and so we're so training those things over time. And I thought it was a really interesting topic. And so I thought I would apply that to a campaign in the healthcare space. So what I looked into was how might we design a campaign for visual illiterates on the subject of HIV AIDS. And Mali in particular was uh, at that point a very peaceful, very stable country where there was a low literacy rate and HIV AIDS was fast becoming an issue. And I thought it's a really interesting environment to test how well this visual is visual communication actually suited to communicating some of these complex ideas. And I noticed that development organizations, for instance, were using posters and information leaflets, using a lot of visual language because they thought, okay, people can't read, so let's use images, let's use Mm. photos and pictograms. And it actually turns out that, um, yeah, a lot of that wasn't effective. And so one of the interesting, one of the funny things that I immediately noticed was they were using a lot of color coding. So like red is for behavior that is wrong and green is for behavior that's right. But that really comes from decades of being a part of a society where you have traffic lights and you get used to this idea that red is stop and green is go. But in a country where there is no traffic lights, do you also have those associations? And then it very quickly turned out that this poster that a German development organization was distributing actually wasn't helpful for people who are reading the information because it showed all these different like activities which were at risk for HIV AIDS contraction or not with color coding, but like no one who looks at that actually sees that color coding. They also, the colors of the Mali flag, which is red, yellow, and green. It's phenomenology actually. (laughs) 
And you know something, uh, uh, Anne, um, I studied neuroaesthetics and uh, my supervisor is, um, uh, was the founder of the field of neuroaesthetics. Um, uh, he, he's the oldest faculty at UCL. His name is... Ah. And he's the person that discovered the place in the mind and the primary visual cortex, which is called ah. P4, that is responsible to get activated, look at colors. And he always tells me that color is not uh, subjective, it's relative. Color is, uh, there's something called color constancy. It's, uh, you should read about that. Uh, oh, interesting. Making about notes. It. It's about you. Yeah, it's about yeah. you. But uh, there's something called color constancy, which uh, means that people see colors differently. Uh, some, uh, what makes you think that uh, apple is green, it's not blue, you know, something like that. Like it's really a very cool. I'll send you some. I'll send you some information about that if you're interested. Yeah, and also I was really um, um uh, I really uh, liked uh, some stuff. I really I love I love the whole biography. But I want to ask you something before delving deep uh, into other questions. As I understood from your work, uh, you like to link the creative industries with the NGOs and social impact. Is that true? Absolutely. So, so one of uh, one of the things that, like, my big insight in the past, in the, in that one year of travel was, and on different levels. So, first of all, what I noticed is that a lot of social entrepreneurs and uh, people pursuing impact, whether that's through a business or an NGO uh, or an educational organization, a lot of them miss kind of you know a knowledge base for like, hey, what is a brand and how could we build stronger brands. So there's an element of knowledge that's missing. Of course, you always work um, or you tend to have smaller budgets to realize your ambitions than commercial companies do. But the third element was also networking. So what you what I noticed was that a lot of organizations in this space simply didn't know the right people uh, and the people who had the knowledge that was relevant to them in order to build stronger brands. And in some cases, that's strategists, but in, in many cases, also that's creatives. And I think that's because uh, we tend to build uh, bonding networks instead of bridging networks. So bonding networks are networks where you bond over a particular profession or around a set of values. And so that means engineers know a lot of engineers and uh, social entrepreneurs know a lot of other social entrepreneurs and brand people know a lot of brand people. And so building those bridging cultures, I think, is, is quite important. So, so what would you uh, yeah. call brand people? If they're not yeah. brand people, yeah. Well, so brand, so brand people are. Uh, th- that's a really wide category. So in some cases, it's people who have been educated in marketing, communication, or design. There's actually very few people who are specialized specifically in brand. So very often, brand um, is something that you come at through another specialization. And uh, it can it, it has a lot of different shapes. So you have resource re- researchers who do consumer research and market trends. You have Strategist people who, yeah, you have, you have digital marketing people. You have creatives, illustrators, designers. You have people who are specialized in typography. I mean, it's obviously a really broad. It's a really really broad range of people. Interesting. So, um, how would you say? Uh, how important is branding and develop because there is a concept called development for communications how important is branding for communications in the development world well if you ask development people themselves generally they would say it's it's quite low it depends a little bit you know generally people say well the work is the most important and the brand is comes absolutely last 
Uh, what's interesting, if you talk to the fundraisers, to the people in the organization who need to ensure that enough money they comes in, they beautiful. actually say, yeah. yeah, they say the exact opposite, which is like brand is really crucial because it helps to drive preference and choice sure. of donors. So if you if you speak to people who kind of understand the role of brand at a at a different level, because well, sorry, let me let me go back one step. So what you hear is brand is not important because what people think about is visual identity. So they think about logos and they think about newsletters and they think about the stuff that kind of happens at the end of when everything is done, we send out some communication. But I think it's really important to take a different kind of mindset and think about like, okay, well, what is the mission that we're out to achieve in the world? Who do we need to get involved in that? And how can we position ourselves in the best possible way to attract the right audience at the right volume? And that's not just important for your fundraising, but it's also really important, for instance, in the talent that you're able to attract. So we see, for instance, for an organization like Macmillan Cancer Support, 50% of the people who apply for a job there cite the brand as the main reason to apply. So I think this is, brand can be a really important factor on a lot of different things. We even know from uh, research here in Kenya that brand can actually help you to achieve a bigger impact. So there's an organization called Shujas, which is a youth platform, a youth media platform here in Kenya. They reach seven. How do you pronounce that? Shujas, S-H-U-J-A-A-Z. What does that mean in Kenyan? Heroes. Heroes, nice. Yeah. Oh, so what they've actually what they've actually shown is that by the pure power of their brand, so their brand has existed for, for over 10 years, their brand is so trusted by young Kenyans that they put out comic books and they put out social it's media a local content. Brand. Well, it's it's yeah, it's a Kenyan brand, yeah. And it's all about um, branding, a Kenyan local brand. It's a local brand that's a youth media platform. Interesting, interesting. And they put out comic books and social media content. Nice. For young people, about the lives of young people. And they integrate family planning messages. Mm. So actually, it's a family planning driven organization. But the shape that it comes in is content that is really appealing and interesting to Kenyan youth. Thank you for sharing. I'll look it up. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's very... What's important about the research that they've done is that I, they've actually shown that because people know and trust the Shuja's brand, they're much more likely to also associate, for instance, safe sex in a positive, so they see safe sex in a, in a positive light uh-huh. compared to, for instance, campaigns that regularly pop, pop up from government or incidentally from, from healthcare organizations. So avoid HIV, they trust, for example. Yeah. yeah, so they trust the Shujaz brand. So the messaging uh, of Shujaz has actually helped to uh, accelerate other safe sex messaging. So you mean that people, locals, are trusting nonprofits more than governments, for example, in Kenya, right? No, that's not the conclusion that I would necessarily draw. I would say that this yes. brand, this particular yeah. brand, uh-huh. has created a very positive association around it's- safe sex. And therefore, and they've been much more successful at that than other organizations, whether those are NGOs or uh, health uh, organizations or government. So because the trust in them is so high, the perception of condoms has become much more positive over the years. And they've been able to establish that um, through independent research. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, Anne, I want to talk to you about your company. 
Can you tell us more about your company? What is it and why was it built? In 2014, I started uh, an education company called The Brandling. Mm -hmm. And this was founded on this, this belief that, uh, that I held after, after speaking to entrepreneurs all over the world for, for about a year, social entrepreneurs, that there was really a lack of, of knowledge and skills when it came to uh, the field of brand. So I decided instead of you know, setting up an agency that works specifically with social enterprises, I wanted to work more at the core of the issue, which is the, you know, developing the skills. So uh, I founded that company here in Kenya because we have a really uh, thriving social innovation scene and uh, a really global attraction to all kinds of different talent. And we started to run training programs, so training programs for incubators and accelerators and educational institutes and NGOs, groups of investors who wanted their, uh, the people who they support, which were either social entrepreneurs or small business owners, activists, leaders of uh, NGOs and other organizations to build those brand skills. And over the years, we started to publish the tools uh, and the knowledge that we developed for that training company publicly. So we have, we also uh, offer public programs. So that's, for instance, Brand to Change Academy. We have online courses and um, our tools and books are available to, to anyone who's looking to learn. And it's and, public, right? You don't have yeah. to buy Well, yeah, so, so they, are, uh, they are for sale. So we have, uh, for Some instance, of the book Brand to Change is for sale. Some of them are uh, publicly, are freely food. available. And the, we became best known for a tool called Brand Thinking Canvas and a book called Brand the Change. And the book is really a, a bigger call to action that we need to, to really do our best to sell products, services, and ideas for change better to the world. Where and can you find the book? It's on the website, right? Yeah, any independent any independent bookstore, any big online bookstore should be able to, you should be able to find it both as a paperback and an ebook. And it's available in Arabic, English, and Korean. In interestingly Arabic enough. As well. okay. Yes. Wow. The okay. Arabic edition is through uh, Jabal Aman Publishers in Jordan. Oh, yeah, you did it for the Jordanians. Amazing, wonderful. Yeah. Tell us more about the canvas, uh, the branding canvas, please. Yeah. So, one of the first things that we feel like is important for, uh, for, for social entrepreneurs and other change makers to understand is what's actually the anatomy of a strong brand. So there's a lot of mysticism and kind of mystery around what is exactly a brand, what are the parts that it's made of. And so we think it's important that people understand like, okay, well, what is actually the framework underneath the brand? So what makes a brand like Apple a strong brand? Yes. Um, and so what we teach is, is captured in this canvas, which is that we need to define a really strong core of the brand. So those are your driving principles, your values, and what you're committing to deliver to your audience. And then we look at how do you actually translate that to a compelling visual and verbal identity. So what's the face and the voice of the brand, really the embodiment. And then from those principles that you've set, how do you then create really compelling interactions? And that's really important because what we see is that people look at, for instance, their product and service in an entirely different light often in their communications. But all of those things are actually fruits of the, uh, from, from the same tree, right? They, they all stem from, if, if, if you're a strong brand, then they all stem from those same principles. That's why 
an Apple store looks the way it does and, a pa- and the packaging looks the way it does and the product looks that way. And so that is where that tool came in and the tool really took off. So that's the, the oldest one in our, uh, basically the evergreen in our, in our toolbox. Yeah. Um, so we've worked with that for about seven years. And that's something that has really resonated with people worldwide and also with other brand professionals um, who use it in their own, in their own work. And um, the canvas is part of the toolkit that we've released in the book. So Brand the Change, the book uh, contains 23 different tools that help people build their own brand. So the canvas is the core tool of that, but there's many others. And that's all part of the course, the cohort of Branding the Change, right? So Brand the Change, the Academy, so that's our that's our live program. This yes. is one of the tools that's going to be in that course. Oh, yes. yay. So just for the sake of the audience don't know. I'm part of that cohort. I'm so excited. That's why I'm asking. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you also, Anne, dear. Um, so um, you quit your full-time job to start the company. What was the passion you had that allowed you to do that confidently? You took a leap of faith. Yeah. I think I probably missed a little uh, macaroni in my head that says that this might be risky. <laughs> but I, I think it's, it wasn't really... I, yeah, I think I've always... I've always been quite confident in my ability to make things work and I've never lived a very um, extravagant lifestyle. So it was a pretty easy leap for me. And I also, what I, what I did is I was basically within just a span of a few months, I was able to very quickly make the leap to working as a consultant for, for impact or driven organizations. So while I was building the educational company, I had that, that income to draw on and that was, um, that was pretty, that was, yeah, pretty easy to be honest. So it never really felt like a huge leap of faith. Um, it just, it just felt like something that was absolutely necessary for my mental health. And um, yeah, yeah, I've never, I've never regretted it. Yeah, of course. So I want to ask you, what does branding offer to clients and what can it do to help them individually on an individual uh, perspective to brand yourself individually and also on an organizational perspective? To me, the most important thing that a strong brand does is it gives you a compass. So it gives you a compass, like it creates a focus. Yeah. And that allows you to to get more of what you want to get out of life or out of work. Yeah. And it allows you to create deeper connections with people because they uh, what you do is clear to them. It's compelling. They're enthusiastic. They want to get on board with what you're doing. They want to you know, either work with you or support you or volunteer for you. And that's a really amazing thing to see happen for people. And I think that can only happen. It doesn't have anything to do with like a beautiful portrait photo or a logo. It has to do with having a good strategy, making really clear choices, yes. um, yeah. telling your story well. And so it, it, it actually has nothing to do with, with the things that most people think uh, branding is all about. So. And there's a trend in branding that you should go silent and not brand yourself. Do you agree on that? Or is it better to brand yourself just in case if you don't brand yourself, someone else is going to brand you? That's the same, right? So what do you... Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. I think silence is also a signal and silence could be a very good signal. I know people who are doing amazing work and therefore are too busy to ever do anything uh, say anything about it in the outside world. So they simply don't need that brand. But I think that 
is the case for very few of us. I think a lot of us depend on public perception for new opportunities to come in and right. for so you're not against the, the silent branding. No, not at all. I think it's totally you should you should work with what is what your what what fits your your values. So you know, if you're an introvert and you feel like you don't need it, then who am I to say that you should? I the, the only thing that I I tend to think is that people of substance and people who really have something to offer with the world are generally have a harder time building that personal brand because they are more mm. reluctant to put themselves forward. They yeah. are often more collaborative. They're more modest. And so unfortunately you see that, you know, the people who would benefit from it most actually are using it the least. And that's of course, something that I would like to see reversed. Great. So I want to ask you, do you find that a lot of companies need this branding help, even if they can't recognize it themselves? Uh, I think, Um, it should be in-house or should it be outsourced? What do you think the branding? I think you can only build a brand from the inside out. So you can't bring in another uh, an outside agency and say, here, they'll, they'll tell you what your values are and they'll give you an identity and then they'll implement you know, the stuff in your... Yeah. yeah, it doesn't work. So that's why I started a training company. It's because so you train you, the it's about the in-house. Yeah, it's about the mindset and the skill set. So... And people don't come for this training if they don't recognize the need. So Can you give us an example of success of that, where you train people to do an in-house branding, uh, like rejuvenation or whatever, without without giving names of the brand, just an example. Yeah, I mean, many. I mean, we've I've worked with, I think, over 2,500 people in the last seven years. But if wow. I look at if I look at what is the most let's say the most meaningful sort of change is we see organizations, for instance, that have uh, uh, really innovative products or services, and it's really hard to describe to the outside world what they actually do. So this could be either um, a design thinking methodology for children, or it could be an idea of um, wanting to uh, engage a lar larger audience with wildlife conservation. Or it could be about a, an anti-corruption app um, that you want to launch uh, in, an, uh, in an African country, for instance. What, you, what is really mm. important for, for people to understand, I think, first and foremost, is, is we, need to add, we need to answer a couple of fundamental questions. So if you want a clear strategy, you really need to understand, like, okay, well, a clear brand strategy, what, what, is, it, what is the impact that I want to see? So for instance, I want to see a million children Um, adopt this, you know, uh, design thinking skill uh, to mm. design a better world, or we want a hundred million people to wake up in the morning and play their game uh, and learn more about elephants, for instance. So if you oh, want wow, those I things to happen. Is this for real, by the way? Is <laughs> yeah, this yeah, yeah, it is. Really? What is it called? Because yeah. I love it's elephants. Called, it's called Internet of Elephants. If we want, if we want to see those things happen, then who, like, what is your strategy to get there? So how can brand help you? So for instance, let's say you want to eradicate uh, slave, slave uh, labor from the chocolate supply chain. So slavery in the chocolate supply chain is a really big issue. Now your vehicle might be, your thought might be like, well, one of the ways we can do that is I can start a chocolate bar with chocolate that's 100% slave free. Now, how can brand help? Now you could either say like, okay, well, we're going to 
get people who are concerned about this topic to buy as much of this chocolate as possible. Or you could say like, well, why don't we go and make it extremely fun for the average chocolate consumer to get involved in the fight against slavery in the chocolate supply chain. So wow. you could, you would say your strategy would basically be to reach, uh, to create a brand that reaches the mainstream that gets, that is fun and exciting and compelling to the, uh, to the average, the average consumer, rather than for instance, uh, a group of consumers that's already hundred uh, percent into fair trade or, or uh, socially and sustainably sourced chocolate. Nice. Um, and then the question is like, okay, well, how do you, how do you give that shape and, and, how do you bring that out into the world? But I, I, I think the first thing that's really important is that is that strategic, uh, strategic aspect. Have you heard of the brand Catmosphere? I have not. Oh, I'll send you the link. It's so cool. It's related to the Internet of Elephants. It's related, something similar. It's like oh yeah, this is uh, this, yeah. this is Rima. The marathon one, right? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so Internet of Elephants works partners with Adidas, amongst others, um, and for the past also, four years, I, they've been doing huh, they've been I, doing the um, doing data based uh, marathon challenges. Why um, is Adidas doing that with specifically elephants? It's not specifically with elephants. The company is called Internet of Elephants, uh-huh. but they that's just the name. They they do they are species agnostic, so they were. They create digital experiences for all kinds of wildlife. Okay. And the Cat's Mania or Catmosphere, sorry, Catmosphere company, uh, is it also part of the Adidas thing? I, I don't know. I don't know them. I mean, I, I've, I've heard about it, but I don't know them. Yeah. They're very cool. I'm going to run the 7K marathon just for the cause next month. Uh, actually, in, in December, it's going to be in December. So in two months. So I wanted to ask you, we've spoken about what resources you offered. You all, we already mentioned the Branding Academy, the online courses, the free ones, and also the books that, that we can find anywhere, the Brand Change books. Guys, make sure you buy that book. Um, I wanted to ask you now about what was the gap you noticed at, uh, when you were creating brands yourself? In other words, what were these brand owners or these business owners missing? Yeah, so this is, I think that's, um, what I what I was describing when you asked about the brand thinking canvas. So really, the sense of like what's the anatomy of a brand. So actually, what are the different aspects of brand? So the core of the brand, what you believe in, the identity, and all the different interactions. And then, you know, I think that's that's the basics. And depending a little bit on what like what an organization has in terms of bandwidth, uh, we start to look at at strategy. So I think one of the, for us, the foundational parts is the strategy and the embodiment of the brand. And then um, if uh, in our longer programs, we also look at testing and implementation of the brand. Hmm. So what are the top principles you want to teach your clients usually? So we always start with creating that clear strategy. So I think when people think about brand, they usually think about the last little bit at the end of after I've developed a product or service now, all the way at the end, I need a visual identity or I need a website. But actually uh, creating a brand strategy is really fundamental. So as I mentioned before in the chocolate example, um, whether you choose to uh, create a very 
let's say, ethical, high standing, um, very sophisticated brand for people who are already interested in uh, fair trade chocolate or a very fun brand for a uh, average chocolate lover, like that's a that's a very different route to creating the change that you want to see. So if you don't take the time to create that strategy, everything else that you do is just tactics. Because yeah, you can create a nice you can create a nice newsletter, you can open a Twitter account, whatever you do. But if you're not reaching the right people through the right strategy, then it's mm. it's really not worth your time. So I think that is first mm. and foremost the principle. Then mm. the second thing is that we really want people to step inside the uh, shoes of their audience. So I think, especially in the social impact space, interestingly, you know, there's a lot of empathy for for other people. But very rarely do we actually think about like, hey, am I am I creating a brand that's appealing to the people that I wish to serve? So is this interesting for our uh, customers, our donors? Does this connect to something that matters in their life? And so what you see in, in regular commercial companies is that like, let's say a fitness company, we have people who are unhealthy, they need yeah. to get fit. You therefore you create a gym and you sell a gym membership to people who aren't fit. But when you think about social impact, you often see a problem in the world, then you think of a solution for that issue. And now you try to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. But you try and sell that back to a group of people who's often not that invested in that problem. So you think like, okay, well, you know, we have not everyone has access to clean water. Let's start a charity to fundraise for clean water. And let's tell people who have lots of water that it's really hard not to have any water and that they should be giving money. Um, or um, we have, uh, you know, we have an issue with climate change. We want to see everyone take on solar lights and solar power. And therefore, we're going to sell it to people as like, hey, save the world, get a solar panel on your roof. I think there's this very naive type of thinking that just because something is socially and environmentally necessary, that people will just adopt it. And a much smarter way of getting ideas adopted is to look at what are people's actual feelings already? So what are their beliefs? What do they care about? Like what's important in their life? Mm. And then all of a sudden you might discover lots of different motivations. So you'll discover that people, for instance, uh, want to get their electricity bills down or that they're concerned about the environment, but only if you, for instance, you talk about um, uh, the, uh, the effect this is going to have on their grandchildren. So there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of different angles um, that have uh, nothing to do with what you believe about what people should do, but everything uh, with what they believe in, what they hold there. And I think the power of looking at impact through the role of, of brand, uh, through the lens of brand, is that we think about those, uh, you know, fears, no. feelings, no. Uh, and insights into people's lives, and that's what we lead with. So we're not working against the stream or upstream. We're working with what people already uh, think. Are of there me. schools of branding? Like, like is is there like a certain school that you follow, or is like not particularly? I yeah. think I kind of ended up creating my own school by, by pasting lots of different little bits and elements together of lots of existing uh, elements and elements um, and content. So this, the content is scattered. So 
no one so far created like um, a, a clear school of branding, right? Well, I think there's a there's a very there's a very distinct kind of American style of brands, like the big corporate brands, the food brands that are best known. So I think, in general, the the Coca Cola company, the Unilever yes. uh, corporations, they have really dominated kind of what how people perceive brands, and so it's much more. I think there's but it's not, so not many... ideal sometimes, right? No, not at all. So you mentioned uh, tactics. You said uh, most of these companies use tactics. My next question is, what strategy do you take to transform a brand from a tactical perspective to a strategic perspective? Yeah, so I think understanding what is going to help, what are the drivers that are going to help get people on board with the change that you want to see. So doing really good research into what matters to your audience. And then the second is really making some tough choices. So people, you can't be everything to everyone. And in order to stick in people's minds, you need to take a strong position. So for instance, in the charity space, um, if you look at people who are interested in donating to uh, help eradicate uh, cancer, So people, uh, cancer affects a lot of people in the world. And there's a lot of us who feel like, oh, you know, I should donate some time or money to that cause. And um, I've got a myriad of causes to choose from. So which organization am I going to choose? So um, for instance, uh, Macmillan Cancer Support is one of the case studies in the book that we we often reference, but they made a really clear choice. Like we're, we're not cancer research. We're not end of life care. We're here to support people living with cancer and their loved ones. So we're going to do everything from helping you um, uh, find support um, in the medical, uh, in medical areas, but also help you with understanding how this is going to impact your different bills, what kind of uh, support your spouse and your children might need during the, the period. So really focused on that. And that allowed them to create all kinds of basically like a, a, this set this purpose of being a life force for people with cancer and allowing the brand to create all kinds of different actions and communications from that jumping off point. And that really is important because I don't know if you know the, the game uh, telephone or Chinese whispers, but no. you st- it's, it's popular amongst kids and you stand in a little circle, you stand in a circle, you tell the first person something and that person has in there whispered oh, yeah. in their ear. Yeah, yeah. when we were kids, person, we used to play it. Yeah, yeah I love it. So you know how you go from one sentence that totally a different story at the end when it comes out um, on the other end. And that's also how the thought process goes. So people simply, if they don't understand who you are, what you do and why it matters, it just drops from their radar. And that's why you need to get down to some really simple, basic choices. And simple is really hard. And I think there's this widespread notion that intelligence really means that things should sound, you know, important and complex and but actually um, if you want to get a product to serve change into the hands of the right people and at the right volume making those choices and making things simple for people to adopt is extremely important from strategy level all the way to implementation so you typically quote it takes a village to build a brand that's end quote by you what Mm -hmm. by this and how How do you use it in your company? I think there's this notion that brands are really built by these lone geniuses, these Steve Jobs type of characters who sit in a garage and think something up and launch it and it's flawless and it's amazing and and everyone will love it. 
And I think that's really a shame. I think there are some kind of, you know, yes, of course, that's how some strong brands start. But for the majority, it's really about collaboration. And I think that we uh, see that um, most great brands, whether they're large or small, actually bring together the efforts of a lot of different people and a lot of different interactions over time. So they bring together people with analytical and creative and strategic skills, people who are on the inside, but also taking feedback from people on the outside. And if you just, whether, you know, whether you're a thousand person organization or a one person organization, it's really naive to think that one person can set the course for a brand. So um, I think this is something that is often really important for people who are building a brand for themselves, for them to realize like, hey, we're not expecting you to know it all and do it all and make all these really difficult choices. It's what you need is, is a tribe of people around you who are going to support you on this journey. And that's also why, you know, all of our learning experience are in groups. So we have uh, an online community where we host online courses that are taken by groups of people who come together during events in groups who collaborate, who brainstorm. We do live programs that bring together groups where peer coaching is really important because you just, you, yeah, it's, it's, it's really too much to think that you can, you can just create something on your own and it'll be perfect. Um, or that you create something on your own and it won't be perfect. Like there's a, there's a such amazing benefits that come from collaboration in this field. Of course, definitely. So uh, Anne, uh, if you can allow me, uh, I'm going to talk about the long-term goals. What do you see? Where do you see the branding in five years from now or your company? What we are staring it towards um, is that it's going to be 100% community-owned learning ecology. So that means that it's a space where a lot of individuals from all over the world can come together to learn about building strong brands together. Wonderful. And I was the source of that initially. So I think I've set up this call to action that I think was shared by a lot of different people that feel exactly the same. And together with a lot of different people, I've, I've built this kind of movement and community over the years. And I don't need to be the eternal owner of that. And lots of different initiatives have sprung up in the meantime and are springing out from from the community that we've built and um, i think that those are all wonderful expressions of of kind of the same the same idea so yeah i i definitely um, unless you know there's something massively disruptive like covid again i that that's how i see the future hopefully not <laughs> yeah. so um do you see any other projects in the future to assist you in what the branding offers besides what you mentioned well, we've always had this really pretty amazing, crazy applications of our work. So I always say that we teach people to think like brand strategists. And uh, we've been able to apply that in lots of different spaces. Um, so for, to, just to give you an example, I worked with the Dutch Ministry of Defense. They wanted to actually see themselves much more as a peace building organization than, oh, wow. let's say, the, the Ministry of War. And so what we worked on is we, we, we used the Brand Thinking Canvas to imagine for them, instead of being the Ministry of Defense, what would happen if they would be the Ministry of Peace? So what would that mean for the products and the services Beautiful. that they develop, for the people that they support, for the 
uh, kind of partnerships and collaborations that they uh, that they embark on. And I mean, obviously, that was something that I could have never, ever thought of um, if I if I hadn't run into this uh, really amazing general female general, by the way. And another um, another project that's very close to my heart was a project that I actually did in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, um, please tell us more about that. Yeah, so I'm I from Saudi, with, by the way. If I haven't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I worked with Alkhair, um, which is an organization that helps. Yeah, very well um, known. Uh, it helps uh, people to transition, men and women to transition into uh, into careers in, in yeah. Saudi. Yep. And uh, we were approached because um, Rima bin Bandar Saud had seen the Brown Thinking Canvas in action and said, you know what, this is what our learners need. If they if they want to prepare themselves for the, re- the workforce, I want them to have a really strong rooted sense of identity and principles. Awesome. And I think that's what branding could do for them. So we created a special kit for everyone who went through the Alfher training program to help them really define who they were, what they stood for, what they like, what was their vision for their career. And how could they show that to the outside world in such a way that they could, you know, be be interesting and attractive to the employers that would help them to realize those ambitions. And it was a wonderful project for me for many reasons. I got to travel to Saudi Arabia, which was absolutely incredible. Um, I worked with a really wonderful team of Saudi uh, women coaches who were all you know really impressive and i got to that's so funny that we never met because i was working in al-khair in 2015 maybe you came Ah, that's possible yeah i got to meet 50 of the students during the pilots uh which which pilot program which was was also really nice and i think one of the things that one of the participants said which which will stay with me for a long time is that uh she when we talked about like well what would you like your career to look like she you know, she got very emotional and she said, well, no one has ever asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And that touched me a lot because it's something that I recognize that I, of course, see with women in my life. And um, that really meant something to me. And I think, you know, in general, when you think about brand, you often think about ego and you think about, you know, Yeah. The budget going towards expensive campaigns for useless products and when i think about that woman it's like oh yeah every you know uh, it feels like every little step in my career and every little turn and twist led me to that then that was a then it was a good path to follow so what do you think from your experience from training uh you're, you've trained women right to work in the mm-hmm. world course uh how was your experience with women like what do you think of the saudi woman I see a lot of um, similarities between the women I worked with there and I only encountered them for a few days, but really women everywhere, which is an incredible amount of talent and intelligence and um, also, you know, know, super hard workers, also often a lack of confidence, Mm. uh, modesty, and which are all amazing traits, but in a, in a world that's still very much dominated by, you know, whoever screams loudest, those traits can, can go um, unnoticed. And we really always tell people like, I wish you the brand you deserve. So I wish that you could have the brand that really reflects to the outside world, all of your potential. And I think the world has an idea of what Saudi women are, but, but I mean, that's a, very misguided concept because 
no one in the world uh, apart from Saudis themselves and, you know, a few other groups have really spent enough time with Saudi women. And so I feel in a way um, it's, it's kind of a brand that has been uh, imposed of women as victims and, and women as, uh, you know, in roles, in, in uh, submissive roles that uh, for me was, I knew that cliche wasn't true because I've worked all over the world. So I know that cliches rarely are true. Um, and one of, for me, one of the most striking examples was that, uh, so we did this pilot with 50 people. We did it inside the uh, Women's University in Riyadh. Princess Noor University. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so we come in and everyone, we all take off our abayas and you see like the amazing diversity of, of women, just the same diversity of, as you would see everywhere, different characters, different types. And you see that there's a security, yeah, there's a security guard who's a woman and there's the head of the university and the faculty and the IT assistant. Every single role in the university is taken by a woman. And Mm. it is the only place in the world where I've ever, when I set up my laptop to hold a talk, I've ever had a female IT technician help me because it's always a guy and he yeah. always treats me like an idiot because I don't know where to put the plug on the like, because this uh-huh. is yet again, another different. And there's a woman who's, who's there. And it really, to me, gave me that perspective of like, yeah, this is what Saudi women have and what they have to show to the world. Like we've only just scratched the surface of everything. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just because I'm Saudi, but I always see Saudi women as the most bravest strongest woman of all women in the world honestly from my experience of working mm. women so yeah. uh, and um, I wanted to ask you we're wrapping up I know I understand you know I have a meeting in a bit I think in two minutes um, so <laughs> ask you if you have any other comments that you'd like to share with our listeners well for I think maybe just a, a note of encouragement for for everyone who's, who's looking to to build a stronger brand for what they they are creating I know it really takes a leap of faith I know that for many people it can feel completely overwhelming on a lot of different levels from you know from functional things like oh how, what's the strategy how do I get this done how do I get it budgeted to really emotional things like hey it's you know branding yourself well, it takes courage and you're going to put yourself out there and people are going to respond. So yeah, I think take heart and do it in the way that reflects your own values and, um, and don't don't take, (laughs) yeah, don't take, don't, don't allow other people to put a stamp, but don't put their stamp on you, but put your your light shine first. (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah. Wow, wonderful. So I'd like uh, just to thank our uh, listeners, our followers. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I love you so much. And thank you so much. Thank you for It was really great. It was really, really, really great having you here today with us. Have a wonderful day, darling. You too. Yeah. Thanks so much, Abir, for for giving me this platform. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure, dear. Speak soon. Bye-bye, dear. Bye. Thanks for joining us and listening to Arif. Remember that you can make a difference in the world, even with small steps in the right direction. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a rating and a review. If you have a suggestion or a comment for future episodes, email me at abwer 
at warif.com. Until the next episode, have a good one.